This episode of The A-Team is brought to you by FaceToFaceGames.com, Canada's number one source for Magic the Gathering card singles. In 2010, a crack Magic playing unit was sent to prison by the DCI court for mise they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a federal pound-me-in-the-ass prison to the Canadian underground. Today, still wanted by Wizards of the Coast, they survive as podcasters of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can listen to The A-T. KYT. Anything that costs a shit ton of mana, you're just like, bang! And you're like, fuck! How does that go? Bang! Fuck! <laughs> Jay Boosh. And that's like the hyper angle. I never want to play in another GP again. I, want to, I never, ever want to play in another GP. Jeremy. And you're the reason I play Magic today. I'm like, I just like, I die. I died. I was like, like just melting on the inside like that. I have inspired this kid to play Magic. And Matt. So I'm having this conversation with this guy in Chile about my deck. And then I'm getting pizza from a guy in Canada. Like, magic is fucking weird. And now, the A-Team. All right, everybody. Welcome to A-Team 286. My name is Matt Mendoza. And on the line with me this week are our fearless Captain Canadian. (laughs) Captain Canadian, really. I love it. That's my new name. KYT. How's it going? Yeah. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad to hear your voice, to be honest. Uh, I've missed you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's better that I'm not sick. Yeah, so you sound great. You sound great. At least uh, at least from, for now, you sound great. Sweet. Well, that's so, good to know. Glad that yeah, you're back. kind of like, uh, you sound great for now. Like, what, is that, what does that mean? I don't know. Gonna, Maybe he'll start coughing a lot later. Is he going to die? Are you afraid he's dying? I'm, I might be. <laughs> he might. <laughs> Are you dying? Like that would be a big reveal. It'd probably be good for the show. And the uh, <laughs> from the field over there. <laughs> that was so awful. Jeremy Schofield, how how are you? Uh, I am. Uh, I'm a little hopped up right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I uh, I hurt my back last week, and everything was feeling good, and then yesterday it with shit and work sucked because of it and i mean yesterday is just shit anyway because life is shit it's all meaningless and it's a wasteland yeah that doesn't destroy uh, a non-basic land yeah so uh i went to the doctor today and he gave me percocets oh that's nice yeah yeah we're all kind of fuckered because i was sick last week uh, which is why i missed thanks for mentioning that kyt you just made you guys just made it sound like I disappeared. You did. Yeah. Well, you know, I was uh, I was I very fuck sick. That back. I'm on Percocets. I'm here. Well, you can actually talk <laughs> at a tolerable sound. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I got I was playing kickball the other day too, and completely you said kickball. I said kickball, and completely ate shit and like and scraped everything. Bruised my knee really bad. Yeah. So we're like 65% of a podcast right now, I think. (laughs) We don't have Jay to carry us. 
Jade carries. <laughs> not that he does much carrying anyway. No, well, not when he's not playing that yeah. much anymore. But this will be another short one. We are sans Kyle this week again as he continues his movement from one part of the Great North to another part of the Great North. Is he going north or south? <laughs> he's just going west. Oh, he's okay. going closer to Jeremy. He's leaving. Yeah, he, he's, he's already in Winnipeg. Yeah. He's okay. already there. Yeah, he's, so he's, uh, he's center now. Okay, yeah, Winnipeg. Yes. Somebody really enjoyed, I think it was Doug, he really enjoyed our Winnipeg hockey conversation. Where you oh, guys yeah. told me all about the MLB team that was in Winnipeg. MLB? Yeah, the major <laughs> the hockey thing, right? That's what the <laughs> league is called. What is MLB it called? is baseball. NBA? No. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> How about that trade, Jeremy? Yeah, let's do a let's do a Mike Flores type thing. We'll randomly talk about sports at the beginning of the show. So fill me in. I have no idea what you're talking about. Although I heard there was a I heard some grumblings in the hockey world last week. Yeah, that affected both our cities, both our favorite yeah. teams. It's crazy. Like think Except about like three massive blockbuster like news pieces for free agency, uh, okay. all happening within I think they said 25 minutes. Like enough yeah. enough stuff that people could talk about it for a week, like the the talking heads in sports could talk about it in a week, quite literally happening within twenty five minutes of each other. Wow! So the biggest free agent guy ends up staying with his uh, his his club, even though there was rumors of like galleons of gold being <laughs> driven to the guy's house, like to to get him on other teams. Like so, to the point this where club is it is it a literal club? And these go- galleons of gold. Can I can I see pictures of those galleons of gold? <laughs> I just I'm just asking the tough questions here. He's not he's not even acknowledging <laughs> it with the response. I love it. Proceed, Jared. Proceed. I don't know if I or- want to. <laughs> <laughs> what is the club that this player stayed in? I don't he- know the teams involved. Okay. He was a uh, he was with Tampa Bay. Okay. So Lightning, and uh, he was rumored. They figured he was going to go for about ten to eleven a season, like just max contract. But he ended up staying for like eight million a season, which is unheard of, especially because the rumors were that Toronto had lined up sponsorship deals outside of his regular contract that would have probably brought him another like 10 to 20 million dollars a year just absolutely ridiculous like the guy would have made boatloads of money playing in toronto but it's toronto so and tampa bay yeah and tampa bay and that's (laughs) been his team forever and florida i don't think they pay tax or anything stupid so um yeah so okay so that was free agent number one yeah and then there was Pretty much, like, two of the top five defensemen got traded one-for-one one to each other. Okay. So, from the Montreal team, P.K. Subban, uh, who was rumored to be traded, and there was a big talk that he might go to Edmonton, and then he ended up going to Nashville for Shea Weber, which is kind of just a strange deal altogether because P.K. is younger. He's a little bit more expensive, 
but he's younger and they're both kind of on par. Like Shea Weber, I'd say, is a better defenseman now, but in a couple of years, PK will be the better defenseman and they both had like big contracts and everything. They were the two most expensive defensemen in the league. So they just kind of did a one-for-one trade, which kind of, I imagine, had the Montreal fans shaking their heads. Huh. Yeah, especially me. I, I was pretty angry and, and still am at the trade just because it, it just seemed like a one-for-one one and... Uh, PK is basically the city's the most beloved, if not second most beloved player. So a lot of fans were, that's the reason why a lot of Cavs fans were, were upset about this trade. And because he's also done a lot of community stuff, like donating money um, yeah, to the like children's hospital. It's just like cutting checks for hospitals. And yeah, that's why it was like a big shock and, and, it's all like we don't know as fans how big uh, of a problem he was in the locker room, which is what I guess the uh, why, why the rumor started that he couldn't get along with his coach or, or stuff like that. So there's all this conflict that is, is hard to tell from from an outsider's point of view, but by seeing the product on the ice and, and just on and off and what he brings, what he means to the fans, it just didn't really make sense to us. So super like my first jersey. Matt, that I have ever that I got last year was of him. So okay, huge heartbreak um, that he's gone for me. So he's got to buy a whole new jersey. I gotta buy a whole fucking new jersey. <laughs> might, might, might buy a, a Subban jersey, a Nashville jersey, but there you go. Yeah, just, just, uh, but like I haven't remembered this many important things not to the fact that they just happened in a short period of time but it's been a while that these big names get traded and uh jeremy for his team he lost one of his trade away one of his best players well oh probably yeah probably the second best player like as far as offensive production like the guy has been top three in the league in five on five scoring and they traded him for a defenseman but they didn't trade him for like a star defenseman they traded him for a okay right-handed defenseman but the tough yeah. part is that the team has had no defenseman they've been stacked up front with all these young kids but they have no defense whatsoever so they just they've been like last place last place i think they were third this uh, year uh, third last so they've just been doing terrible things and they need to do better and it's a shitty trade if you just go like this guy for this guy absolutely garbage but yeah they had to fill a need and everybody knew that Buddy was available and nobody was willing to cut them a break. Everybody was asking for, you know, gold and giving back silver. So um, it's one of those things where it's like a lot of people just keep looking at it and saying, you know, it's you traded uh, Tarmogoy for a fetch land or something like that. <laughs> oh, and it's okay. like you, I'm glad that you land. put it in a in a magic yeah. analogy. I like it. I, I would, like it. I like would it. not have understood anything that you ever said. Yeah, so, without that it. magic analogy, so so the, the Tarmogoy for a fetchland thing, if you look at it just in a vacuum, it's terrible. Like the value is just not there. Like you you lost a whole bunch of money on the deal, but it was one of those things that like Buddy's playing a deck and he can't get this fetchland anywhere else. You just can't go to the store and buy him. You can't whatever. Nobody, a bunch of people got them, but they don't want to trade them because they're using them and. They know that they can pluck a Tarmogoyf out of this guy because he's desperate for this land because he just can't win until he gets this land. 
Okay. So that's what kind of happened is that the Oilers got put into a really crappy position. And they had to give up that goif to get the land. They picked up a guy in free agency. They got the, since the other guy was gone, that Stamkos guy, the next kind of highest, the next best guy in free agency uh, happened to be a left winger. That Hall was a left winger. That's the Oilers guy that they traded away. And Buddy was already, uh, has a good relationship relationship with the the general manager in Edmonton uh, because they used to be on a previous team together. So it was pretty obvious that uh, Lucic was going to sign in Edmonton just because there was some advertise or not advertisement, but it was, it was reported that he was in town on uh, the day before that Hall got traded in the city. So it's like the day before Hall got traded, Lucic is in town, gets toured, gets brought to the owner's house and all this kind of stuff. And then the next day Hall gets traded and it's during a courting period, so they're not actually allowed to sign contracts, but they're allowed to kind of somewhat negotiate. So as soon as, like, Hall got traded, you knew that, like, Lucic was coming to Edmonton because the only way that they could afford to trade away Hall is if they had, you know, a really, really strong left winger to be filling his role uh, coming back in free agency. So it's one of those things that the Oilers now are a better team, but in, like, three or four years, I don't know if they'll be a better team with what they've done. So. I like that analogy, Jer. It also made me think of like Seal, where you have to possibly cut a good card, but because you have to play enough lands. Um, yeah. So it's sort of like that sort of issue. Yeah, like that's the thing is that if you look at it for player for player and you put them beside each other, the trade is they 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 got fleece. They got fleece from anywhere they went. But if you look at it just from a straight trade, yeah, it's terrible. It's it's, it's awful. <laughs> But if you look at it from, like, what is the team better for it? Yeah, the team's actually better for it. The team is better for that (laughs) trade. And that's what he's got to do is he's got to do better because this team's been terrible for 10 years. And it's not getting any better if he just sits on these players. Uh, They've had all these number one picks. They always pick the best player available because that's what you do with number one picks. And the thought is always that you pick the best player available, and if you need to, that guy becomes an asset, and that's what they had to do, is they had to make Hall into an asset. It's too bad, because it would have been great if they could have got uh, traded Everly for him, or Ryan Nugent Hopkins, or any of these types of things, but that's the thing, is that none of the other teams have to make that trade. Nobody's that desperate for an RNH or whatever. Like they, they need a haul. If Hall is available, they'll they need a haul. They have to make that trade. They have to trade for Taylor Hall because he's just that good. And that's mm-hmm. the one reason why Taylor Hall went is because that's the guy you can float out there and actually get people to bite on. Hmm. The but desperation, desperation yes. is a stinky cologne. Yeah. Well, that's what they say that the best part of negotiation, the best position to be is to be indifferent. If you're indifferent in negotiation, you're going to win. Because if you're indifferent, it means that you don't need to make the trade at all. So the other guy's got to win you over. He's got to give. He's got to overcommit. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm thinking. I'm just trying to. Well, at least we're in Canada, so we we know a, a bunch of our listeners actually know what we're, the fuck we're talking about. <laughs> but uh, Canada. What you saying? Canada likes hockey. <laughs> That's yeah. racist. No, <laughs> A bunch of other magic type analogies do come to mind for me about how like you do try to pick the best player available. Sort of um, how sometimes a lot of my friends like speculate on cards and they think they're getting value, but they have to remember that they have to do 
the trading part to cash in and sometimes they're not trading at the value that they got the cards initially so uh here for, for hockey i feel like yes you're getting the best player available and hoping you have to turn it into assets but you might have to trade them at the lower value based on on needs that other teams may have and that's where Edmonton found themselves where they, they had to trade away an asset that other people weren't um, that had were in abundance of versus yeah. like a defenseman that a lot of people need, like a solid defenseman. But it's just a shame to me that the Oilers had all these years and they couldn't build like any defensive prospect to to be good enough at this point, we're seeing a lot of promise in Darnell Nurse, but he's still super fucking young. So, yeah, hope it works out for you, Jer. Yeah, like that's where this Larson kid is going to be good because he's actually still developing. And you can hear my family meltdown down <laughs> in the background. It is chaos at the Schofield Estate. So, well, speaking of Oilers, Phyrexians <laughs> won the most recent modern fast fast. Open. Yes. Yes. Face à face. Je face à face. Je Martin. face à face. Yeah. Do that for Martin. Martin <laughs> told me je face à face. <laughs> so yes, Dean, Dean yeah. McLaren is uh, Sean McLaren's brother, right? No. No. Yeah. No. Well, no. Sean McLaren has a brother, right? Yes, and that is Dean McLaren. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So. Dean McLaren won, and he's not Sean McLaren's brother, or he is? Dean he McLaren is. is Sean McLaren's brother. Yeah, he is. I was just trying to... I was just fucking you over. See, that's um, the thing, is that I don't know if Mendoza is just dumb <laughs> or just plain dumb. Right. Yes. Really right. Now I'm confused. Now I'm confused, too. Now I'm thrown off. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of column... A little bit from column A, a little bit from column B, really. I think that, that's good. He protects himself either way. <laughs> so we can never call him out. <laughs> well, at the end of the day, he's still dumb. <laughs> like, the, if, if you're going to pretend then. So I, I didn't know that uh, Infect is, uh, is, was going to win this. And I, I didn't, I, I'm curious to know. I didn't, haven't gotten a chance to message Dean or anything. Um, how he, he, he liked his deck. Um, well, look, he won, which is nice. But I can tell you that, like, Mike Lewis, the guy I went down with, uh, was contacted by Dean to borrow a whole bunch of cards that Mike was playing because Mike was playing control. It sounded like Dean actually wanted to play Jeskai control. Okay, the whole Nahiri deck? I played the Nahiri deck, and I guess he had a whole bunch of stuff. Or I don't know if it was the Nahiri deck or Mardu deck, but it sounded like he wanted to like borrow sixteen cards that that my buddy Mike was playing Nahiri Jeskai, and it sounded like yeah, there was sixteen some odd cards that were in the deck. So I don't know if he was playing the Mardu version that's out there or what he was planning on playing. But he stuck with Infect, and Infect treated him well. Yeah, it looked like it was a good event for Infect, as three of the top eight decks are the poisonous mess uh and it also looks like it was as as uh who wrote this it was peter schreier that's how you pronounce his last name correct yeah yeah that's correct yeah it looked like peter noted that the format's very aggressive 
Suicide Zoo uh, and Fish and Grixis Delver, which, you know, Grixis Delver, this particular version was fairly tempo heavy with Nivmatic. It was more of the uh, uh, elemental deck where you have Delvers, Storm Chaser Mage, Monastery Swift Spear, and Nivmagus Elemental along with a whole bunch of uh, spells. So this was basically, it's a very shotgun format, it looks like, with Suicide Zoo, in fact. And then even Omen, Omen Shift, as you guys are calling it, is one of those decks that can be very aggressive with uh, with Prismatic Omen, basically going off as soon as turn, f- you know, turn five, turn four through turn six because of ramp and Prismatic Omen. So, uh, yeah, like they were uh, Bosu's been playing that deck forever, that Prismatic okay. Omen deck. So that's definitely, you know, kind of a spice. Well, not necessarily spice, but like a, a deck that he's very, very familiar with, very comfortable with has tuned the heck out of so if you want to find a version of scapeshift that has been played by somebody a lot and has been tuned a lot by very very strong player like that's a good list to to emulate um cody crosman i haven't seen him playing a lot of magic events so it was really cool to see him top eight uh with his uh suicide list there that he had um i don't think he's really got a lot of reps of it in uh he might but i just know that he hasn't been playing a lot of magic these days so uh, it was really cool to see him uh, turn up and uh, do well. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it seemed like uh, the Red Deer meta is very heavy on the, on the, uh, kind of more on the Jun side of things and the Tron side of things. So there was a lot of decks that are around that. I know a lot of the, the, the builds that they had listed as kind of, uh, what do you call that? Like a, homebrews or whatever like that were also more like mid-rangey kind of jun style decks yeah so that's what we saw a lot of uh, well the one outlier hate bears okay yeah Yeah. like that's the thing if you look just at the top eight it's i I didn't really didn't really describe what the actual oh yeah i'm looking at the uh, the in-depth i'm looking at the metagame breakdown and it looks like i mean the one outlier in the top eight was jund yeah and it was obviously with 17 players playing it, making up almost 10% of the field, little 9% or whatever, uh, it's definitely the, was the most played deck and deserves a spot in the top eight because of that. But um, it's kind of funny that, you know, Nahiri Jeskai didn't place or Abzan Coco didn't top eight either, uh, despite, uh, despite their prominence in the metagame, which I keep hearing that Nahiri Jeskai is not actually that good. I've not played a lot of modern lately, but I've I've heard that it's that it's kind of simmering. I don't know. Like uh, my buddy Mike, he was playing the Nahiri Jeskai deck. Okay. He went five zero and then lost three matches in a row, and he was just in Mulligan hell and just a, a lot of close matches. I I know in uh, round six he was playing against Cody Crossman, and game one he got suicided pretty quick and just couldn't make things come together. He was having some mana troubles. He had done a, a Mulligan. Game two, uh, Crosman puts himself to like 11 on turn two or something like that. And Mike had two lightning helix bolt and a snapcaster. So he just burnt him right out. It was it wasn't even a game, just blew him to pieces. And then game three, it sounded like it went like three or four turns. It went it went deep into the into the, the, the game. Like I think it was uh, over 10 turns in the game. And I guess Mike was sitting on like a 16 outer and just couldn't make it happen for three or four turns. 
Okay. While Cody was just kind of putting together some stuff and Mike was just having to hold himself back. So it was just like little things like that where he said, you know, he just kind of ran into spots like that. He wasn't playing his best. He uh, had some, you know, just bad luck going along that way as well. So the the, the Nahiri Jeskai deck, like I, I didn't see a lot of it at the top tables, but I also wasn't paying very, very close attention because I scrubbed hard <laughs> at that tournament. So. Well, you were, I'm assuming you were one of these dredge players, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it was funny. I messaged you. You started off great. You started well, off great. I played against Buddy who goes turn two scavenger news on me three games in a row. And I won <laughs> that match. Okay. Yeah. So it was game one. Uh, we kind of do the big back and forth thing. He gets the, the scavenger news out. And I am able to get a lot of troll online. And... We get ourselves into this position where I've got a bunch of creatures out because I'm hard casting Venge Vines and I've got the Lotla Troll and I got a bunch of little dorks out because I've just been casting stuff because he's got the scavenging news. And he's got uh, Kalidus out now. like So he follows it up with the Kalidus. So it's like, okay, now I can't have things die. This sucks. So I sit there and I smash into him with the Lotla Troll because at this point here, the Lotla Troll. It was massive. I had just dumped a whole bunch of crap into it to just have a big creature so that he couldn't really out uh beat back at me and uh he blocks like i had a five four lot literal and he had a five five scavenging news so he blocks so i put a regeneration shield and then he's like these cards trade yours is exile i'm like well no no mine's regenerate and he's like well it gets exiled before regeneration can trigger i'm like eh, it doesn't quite work like that buddy regeneration's a replacement effect your thing's a replacement effect but my card i get to choose He's like, oh, does it work like that? Yeah. So then two seconds later, he's like, ah, I think I'm going to call the judge. So he calls the judge over, and judge kind of comes by, and the judge is looking at it. And I know the judge is – he's not new-new, but he's – hes I think this is his kind of first big tournament that he was judging in. So it sounded like for a quick second there, he was almost kind of like just unsure of himself and it was just a little bit of like early uh, kind of early jitters. But he was just like, no, no, that's absolutely regeneration shield. He said it does something that the way he described it was not actual correct, but the result was what was supposed to happen, that the creature exiles and then comes back into play tapped and stuff like that. I'm like, well, no, it doesn't because then I lose all my counters. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, well, what I mean to say is that it's just regenerated and it's tapped. It's like, okay. (laughs) So we get on and Buddy loses his scavenging news at that point there, which lets me just start dumping stuff out and build up a big board and kind of beat his Cletus because... It Kalidus don't matter if I'm dredging creatures into my graveyard. Yeah. It only matters if I'm losing creatures, the creatures are dying into my graveyard. So uh, that was kind of that thing. Game two went kind of crazy long. Uh, again, he gets scavenging news because it shuts me down way too early and I can't come back from it. Game three, he gets a scavenging news on two, but I'm already like 12 cards in my graveyard because I have like just the, the nutty... Uh, land uh faithless looting into discarding glaric grave troll and uh blood gas and then i get the grave troll back and i hit something like a grave caller and uh grave caller uh prized algum prized algum type thing like that like a, a big kind of like just graveyard hit he's only got one green source so then my turn two is like insulin neonate 
sacrificing that, putting another Vengevine into my yard, and then casting a Grave Crawler to get my second creature to have two Vengevines coming in, and I've all got the got the Blood Gas, and it just I, I had way too much power, way too many creatures right early off the get go. So he had the Scavenger News, but he just he was already way too far behind. So um, it was great in that sense, and then. Uh, round two, I end up playing against one of these Infect decks. So we have a lot of blue-green Infect uh, in uh, in the Edmonton area. And for whatever reason, it doesn't seem like there's a ton of it, but I definitely have a magnet towards it. Like, I knew I was going to be playing against it. I made some tweaks to my sideboard to better myself against it. And I still ran into it, and I still got beat up by it. And it was one of those cases where it's like game one, after my turn three, um, on my turn four, I've got all the pieces I need to kill him. Um, it's going to be an overwhelming kill because I've got a couple Venge Vines in the yard. I've got creatures in play. I'm beating him up. And he sits there and he's only got the one uh, the one creature in play, the blue-green or the blue guy. And he sits there and he's like, okay, uh, you're tapped out. I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay, uh, the plus four, plus four, if it's his main phase, plus four, plus mitable four. Corrosion. Yeah, mitable Corrosion, mitable Corrosion, mutagenic growth attack. I was just like, okay, that's game, you know, and move on to the next one. And I keep a hand that has two lands, a relentless rat or a rotting rat, and a dark blast. And I dark blast the crap out of him. Like that game goes like nine turns, and I'm dark blasting, and he's like burning pump spells after combat because I'm not dark blasting until after combat. And then he gets a Pendlehaven out, and he's trying to play around everything. And I'm building up a board. And I have one turn where it's like, okay, if because I'm beating him with the Rotting Rats. The Rotting Rats are actually getting damaged in. And I get myself into a situation where it's like, I can't set up an Alpha Strike right now. But I do have... Uh, I do have the... Um, I do have a Prized Alchem in the yard, and I have a Gravecrawler in the yard. I have a Vengevine in the yard, but I don't have another sec a second creature to cast. But it's like, if I cast this Gravecrawler and get the Prized Alchem out, I put him on a two-turn clock. And... I'm thinking, like, if I do that, then that gives me the best chance. But he's been drawing a bunch of cards, and it's like he's going to find the pump spells eventually. And I just, he's got a, a Pendlehaven out now, so I can't get him with the, the Dark Blast anymore. So I, I'm sitting there, it's like, well, I think i got to build my clock up. So I, I eventually cast the Gravecrawler and get the Algum out. And he sits there, and he comes back, and he attacks me, and I'm able to kind of keep him. Like, I, I live through the turn because he... Feels like he can't pull the trigger on any pump spells or anything like that. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. And then on my turn, I do another scaven or another dredge. And I hit another Vengevine or I hit two Vengevines and another Gravecrawler. So I'm like sitting there like, ah, crap. Like I, I could have had, you know, the, the the crazy turn this turn. But I don't have the, the creatures to make it work. So again, I'm stuck in that spot where it's, I can't get my Vengevines out of my yard. So I attack with everything and... Then he sits there, and next turn he just kills me. So it was like one of those things where it's like, okay, I could have done the turn two clock, but I really should have just realized that I just don't have the time for that, and I should have just left the stuff in the graveyard and just hoped to get lucky and hit two grave crawlers so that I'd be able to bring back two grave crawlers and hopefully have a bunch of veg vines to kind of push through one attack instead of trying to do, you know, two attacks, two turns. And if I had, you know, waited and pulling the trigger on that, I wouldn't have had the algum, but I would have had all the veg vine damage, and. You know, it's just like a, a mistake in that spot there. Hmm. And then uh, third round, I played against like a white green, a white green uh, cocoa deck. Okay. And 
<coughs> scavenger news again. Scavenger news just beats me up. He's playing uh, whatever uh, chords. So he chords for scavenger news really early on off of a couple of birds and stuff like that. And he's able to just start oozing me out. And it was one of those ones where it's like, if he gets an early ooze and I don't have the board, then it just doesn't matter too much. But he was playing, you know, just like your standard, uh, like Archangel and uh, Spike Feeder to make your army massive and collected company and all kinds of stuff like that. So he just was able to drop a bunch of Venge or uh, Kitchen Finks and made it really difficult for me to be able to patch through them. And yeah, just little stuff like that. So uh, yeah, I ended up being one, two at that spot there. I'm just miserable because I just got served hard. Um, I lost to the deck that I know I can't beat, the blue uh, green infect deck. And I just say, I'm really upset about that. And then the white green deck, I just felt like I should have been able to do something against it. And I don't know if I just played against bad matchups or if I just was playing bad or my deck is just bad. So I was just in a really crappy mind state. So I sit there and I go and sign up for a win a box figuring like, well, you know, a good rebound event will make me feel better. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because it's that's a good plan. Yeah. And it's like. I'm going to play against a bunch of people who are doing just as bad as me. So I feel like I should be in a good spot there. Like I know my deck really well. Uh, so I ended up playing against a, uh, an Abzan, uh, Coco list and buddy just beats the living crap out of me. Like it's not fair. It's hilarious though, because we're playing our game two game one. He beats me up game two. He's got the board all set up. He's got a, uh, scavenging news he's all set up on it he's doing all this stuff but i've got he, he it's funny because like i sit there and i he doesn't really know dredge so at one point i play one of my korean cards and he's like wow i can read that because i guess buddy was korean <laughs> so he's like reading through it and he's like yeah it does this and does this because my lot literals are all korean and i'm like yeah yeah and he's like oh that's cool and i'm like wow you know i've never really run into that before usually i have to explain what's going on and then my grave crawlers are all the bio, bro, bio box ones and they're all they're all Japanese buy a box. So Gravecrawler, he asks what it does, and I tell him what it does in game one. And then game two, he asks what it does, and I tell him what it does. And later on, a couple turns in, and he asks what it does, and I tell him what it does. And I, I, I've just been going through this whole thing. So we get into a spot where I can't win the game. He's got me beat. But I've got, like, three Gravecrawlers out. And I'm not attacking because I don't have any, like, attacks. All my attacks are just going to attack into his stuff, and I don't have anything in the graveyard. And he's got a scavenger news, so if the things die, chances are he's just going to be able to eat them before I can cast them again. So I don't have any good attacks. But he's only attacking me with his scavenger news because, for whatever reason, it seems like he's just completely forgot that my grave crawlers can block, or I can't block. Huh. And then I cast a blood gas and the blood cast is in English and it says can't block right on it. And it's funny because I managed to draw like four turns out of this guy because he keeps just attacking, even though he's got lethal on board, he just keeps attacking with one creature because it's the only creature that's bigger than my creatures that I have back. So I, I got a laugh out of that. And <laughs> like one of the judges, uh, one of the other players, Zach Terjansky, he comes by and he's like looking at me and looking at the board and we're just sitting there kind of playing it out and he beats me up and it's like, yeah, no blocks. And they're wondering like, well, did you try selling it? Like, did you try and pick up the card and put it towards it to make it look like you're going to block? I'm like, no, I didn't need to sell it. I told him twice that game that the things couldn't block, but he just kept playing like they could. So, <laughs> so I get smashed in the first round of the winner box and I'm just like, I, I hate magic. I hate everything. So we just end up playing a bunch of judge tower at that point. And, okay. <laughs> 
because like that's a masochist a masoch i can't say words i'm too fucking stoned <laughs> do you think that dredge is a good decision if you can't beat infect Well, see, that's the thing. <laughs> Am I going to play Infect? If I play against Probably. Infect, I... Well, like, that's that's the nice thing about this uh, this uh, thing here is that, like, we get kind of a biggish tournament that tells me what's going on. So it's, we had, what, 184. 184 players for a 2K in Red Deer. Wow. And uh, 11 of them were on Infect. So, I don't know if I'm going to play against an Infect player. You know, like, it's it's one of those things where it's like, I can sit down and I can expect to not play against an Infect player. I played three rounds and I didn't play against a lot of the decks on here. I played against a Jund, an Infect, and a Coco that wasn't a Abzan Coco, just uh, like a regular Coco. Okay, so two of the top three archetypes? Yeah, exactly. So I played against two of them. <laughs> but, like, that's the thing, is that yeah. I didn't play against all the other decks. I didn't play against Affinity. I didn't play against Tron. I didn't play against Jeskai. I didn't play against Burn. I didn't play against, like, a whole bunch of decks. So can I play Dredge at the event? Yeah, I can. If I dodge Infect, I feel really good. But I just don't know if I feel good about the deck right now. Like, I don't know if... Is there too many scavenging oozes out there right now? Is my confidence in the deck completely, like, trashed? Yeah, it feels really trashed with it. Uh, that's where I'm even thinking that. I might try out the other Dredge version of the deck right now that's pretty popular with the Narc Amoebas and go for the more, the, the less aggro-y Dredge deck and go for that more just go really wide um, Dredge deck with uh, the Narc Amoebas. Hmm, okay. So, like, those ones there, you see... Uh, I, I don't know. Like that might just be the way to go. It's a little bit more controlling. It has a uh, better reach because it can fireball a person out. It, it can do a bunch of stuff like that. So it doesn't get punished as bad by scavenging news, I find. So, and it's got one of my favorite cards in it in burning inquiry or not burning inquiry. What's that card called? Burning. Uh, yeah. Burning inquiry. Yeah. The discard draw three, discard three. Yeah. Because I have hosed people in the past. <laughs> I used to play it in my, my Dredge Bind deck, and I've host people where you just turn one Burning Inquiry and you get rid of their lands. Like, they just get hymned. Yeah. Oh, it's discard. You draw three cards. Each player draws three cards and then discards three cards at random. So yeah. you can just randomly hit lands and, like you said, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, like, I love that version of the deck. I love playing that one. I would play Goblin Lore in it as well. <laughs> Goblin Lore was a lot of fun. Goblin Lore used to be broken on Magic Online, where you would draw four cards and then discard your entire hand. That's how <laughs> okay. Goblin Lore used to work on Magic Online. So, it, it's funny because like I'm looking at it and it's like, oh, I kind of want to play the stretch deck and I want to play it up different. But I'm actually really upset because Stupid New Set actually has some really cool dredge pieces in it. Eldritch oh. Moon is just pissing me off because like there's a card that i would 100 percent play and i'm okay. not gonna get to like so. what uh there's a new two drop guy and uh what it is or no he's not a two drop he's a four drop sorry it just he's a dredge two drop because uh he's the haunted dead he is uh three and a black uh when he enters the battlefield uh you put a one one white spirit token with flying into play 
and he's a 2-2 zombie. And you can pay one and a black and discard two cards to return it from the graveyard to the battlefield tapped. So, hmm, okay. He's uh, it's very similar to, uh, there's a, a blue guy, uh, the, the scab, the 3-1 scab. scab. Yeah, that people have been using. And the tough part about the Stitchwing scab, while it's great that you have this card, it sucks because it's blue, which means you have to play blue. And you don't want to play blue. Playing blue is bad. Okay. So being able to play Jun colors and having this Haunted Dead is really cool. Um, it's fantastic for, again, like I look at this card, I'm like, wow, this card is excellent in in my bad matchups. It's excellent for, uh, for Infect because being able to bring this creature back and getting that 1-1 white flyer to be able to block like uh, a uh, Ink Moth Nexus is huge. Yeah. Like it gets me a fog that gives me the ability on the next turn because I can activate it on his turn to get that 1-1 white spirit, flash it in, and I get the ability to go off with my Venge Vines off of that zombie the next turn, which is just huge. I don't think so. it. I don't think that's the case. Venge Vine, is, I believe, is a cast trigger, correct? Yes, it is a cast trigger, but what I'm trying to say is that I'm getting a zombie from my graveyard to enable me to cast my grave crawlers. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Because th that's that's... That is one of the things that you need to do. So right now, my my graveyard enable, like if I don't have a zombie in play and I don't have a zombie in my hand, I'm counting on a couple different things to happen. One of them is I'm counting on a blood ghast to come into play and drag a prized algamum with it. So if that happens, then I'll have a zombie in the prized algum in play. And that gives me my ability to cast my grave crawlers and launch the attack again once the game's kind of drawn out. Why that plan is kind of iffy is because it's hard to get lands in Dredge. Unless you're playing Dakmore Salvage and you kind of fire off your one Dakmore Salvage because you don't want to play too many of them. Or if you're doing your uh, uh, the card I'm playing right now, which is uh, the new one. that uh, Drown Yard Temple? Drown Yard Temple, yeah. So I have a Drown Yard Temple. And Drown Yard Temple, the tough part with it is that you need to have three mana. And three mana is still pretty hard. If you have three mana, you pretty much keep any hand that has three mana because three mana is like a huge part of the dredge game, dredge vine game at least. So you've got that aspect. The other way that you can do it right now is that I'm using uh, the uh, Rotting Rats. So Rotting Rats, okay. I can unearth and then I can cast Gravecrawlers behind it. So if I unearth it and cast two Gravecrawlers, I need to have three black sources and four mana total, which again is hard to do. So the other thing that you can do is if you have like three grave crawlers in the graveyard, then it's unearth, cast a grave crawler, and then hope that grave crawler makes it through. Or if you unearth, sometimes you get to drag a prize algum out. You know, like there's a few things that can come out of it. The thing I like about this haunted dead is like during their end step, I can bring the haunted dead back, have it in play, untap, and be able to go grave crawler, grave crawler, and do all that with two mana. And being able to do all that with two mana is huge because you play a lot of games where you're on two mana. Yeah. Like, Life from the Loam is not a good card in the deck, but it's a necessary card in the deck because you need to, sometimes, that's your way to get to three mana is that you have to, like, have a game drag out a little bit and bring back a Life from the Loam to get the land, to get your blood gas going, to get your mana going. Um, like, the, the best place to be is the... Uh, well, the best, best place to be is casting, like, a Neonate and a Gravecrawler on two and Vengevining all over their face. The next best place to be is on turn three, being able to cast a Lotla Troll 
discarding Venge Vines to it, prized algums to it, discarding a grave crawler to it, and then casting the grave crawler itself, and then getting your Venge Vines back and smashing in. So like that's your your great on three play. Your great on two play is like just having a nut uh, through the neonate grave crawler or two grave crawlers or two. If you have two neonates, like well, two neonates doesn't really actually do anything mm-hmm. uh, because you don't get to really activate the second neonate. But those are kind of like your, your big places to be, right? So I just, I, I like having this one. And then the nice thing about it is that if you're in like one of these trapped positions where you're stuck on the two lands and everything like that, you might not have that lot like troll to get your dredger back into the graveyard. And this per, like this card being able to dump two cards back into your graveyard is also really strong. So, because you have to figure out ways to make your graveyard work for you when you're just nonstop dredging. Yeah. Like once you have the grave trolls and the stinkweed imps in the graveyard, anytime that you actually draw a card off the top of your library is a real feel bad moment. You want to be able to work with your graveyard, and this card lets you work with your graveyard. So. Yeah, I think Haunted Dead is like a really, really good car. I'm really looking forward to hopefully cracking some foil on commons of it, like foil, foil uh, Korean versions of it. It's my my want card from the new set. Cool. Do you see anything else in this uh, set transitioning to Eldritch Moon? Do you see mm-hmm. anything else that uh, you're eyeing for modern implications? There's a part of me that wants to, again, in Dredge and Jun Dredge, uh, Dredge Vine, maybe trying to float one copy of United Resistance. Okay. So that is the one red-red sorcery with Escalate 1. And it is target player discards. uh, It's three modes, and you can pay the Escalate to get more modes. But it's mode one is target player discards all cards in uh, his or her hand, then draws that many cards. So again, that could be just like a massive... Uh, a massive uh, faithless looting style situation, mm-hmm. uh, especially because you draw, you discard the cards first and then draw the cards. So if your hand's loaded up with a bunch of dredge cards that you've been dredging back, this is a great way to dump them and then redraw all them and, you know, essentially just graveyard your entire library. Um, the, also the fact that it has the ability to do four damage to a creature is cool because that might be what you need to kill a Kalatas that's making your life miserable or kill a scavenger news that's making your life miserable or kill anything that's making your life miserable. Um, killing things that make your life miserable is awesome. <laughs> and then the fact that it can also just do damage to the opponent, you know, it might just be, yeah, it's a little bit of reach. Yeah. A little bit of reach. So it's just a good utility spell. Three mana might be way too much though. So it's going to be, you know, playing a, a league or two with it to see how it feels. Um, excited for that. Um, the one drop zombie guys kind of neat. Yeah. I was going to ask about crypt breaker and what your thoughts on it and whether or not there is enough momentum to try out this dredge deck as a zombie tribal deck, which I realized grave trolls, not a zombie, but a lot of the other stuff is. So what got me into dredge in the very first place in modern was not dredge itself. The deck that got me into it was a blasting station zombie vampire deck. Okay. And I absolutely loved it. Like it was just blasting stations and grave crawlers and Groff's messengers and 
blood gasts and uh, what else was being played in there? Uh, the I think it's Chris the Highborn or whatever, where you can pay mana to kind of uh, do a drain effect. Yeah. So I really liked that deck just because having all those zombies and being able to just kind of recur them and uh, you had kind of the faceless lootings in there. I, at one point I had put it to gen colors and was playing, uh, I think it was like a two mana Golgari spell from Return to Ravnica that was grim something and you like looked at five cards and put one in your hand the rest in your yard or whatever. Uh, it was just really good. Yeah. So Crypt Breaker and something like that, like maybe that's enough because you can be discarding these cards like your prize algums and all this kind of stuff to get your zombies in. You can bring them all back. It just the tap three untapped zombies you control to draw a card and you lose one life. I don't know if you're ever going to use that. Like, I don't know if that's what you want to be doing, but maybe in like some sort of drawn out game that can get you. Well, my, I think of immediately you tap a crypt breaker an amalgam and a grave crawler and you dredge. Yeah, but it's better to be trying to kill somebody with those cards. Yeah. You know, like that that's that's the part about this is that this feels like it's got to be if you're going to be dredging, it feels like you got to be doing more of like a uh, I don't know, like more of a combo-y style thing like that's why okay. I, like, I look at this and I, I feel like okay maybe a blasting station thing is where I want to be with this but I don't know like maybe playing it with some sort of uh, blood artist type thing uh, you know to have the, the one vampire show up to deal but I don't know like I look at Crypt Breaker and I'm thinking that I'm not necessarily thinking dredge with it but I'm thinking more um, more delve or more madness with Crypt Breaker so yeah that that's kind of the thought with that guy there, but you know it could even just be a thing where you just play with like a couple zombie lords and you just go all zombie zombie, and maybe that's enough. Now I, I do want to say this set, it's time, it's finally time. Falconrath Reaver, a two two for two, for one red and one at common. Finally time. That's the first one, right? Well, the t just a, a vanilla two-two for two. That's that's red. I don't know. Okay. No, no, never mind. Borderland Marauder. Derp. Never mind. <laughs> oh, I was, I you know, playing Magic a long, long time. You get used to like, oh, this red two-drop has a drawback because it has two power. But I guess that hasn't been a thing for a long time, so. I am really mm -hmm. dumb sometimes. <laughs> uh, I know my my buddy Mike, who won his PPQ with his uh, Super Friends deck, is very excited for Deploy the Gatewatch. Oh, I'm sure. Like, Seems ridiculous in that deck. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I don't know. Like, that seems really interesting. Uh, I'll have to see, like... Six mana seems crazy. Sorcery seems crazy. But you get two Planeswalker. And two Planeswalkers is pretty damn good. And when those Planeswalkers can be like Chandra and Gideon or something stupid. It's like I get to board wipe and start building tokens up. This this seems fair. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm intrigued for his excitement for the card. 
He's not too sure if it's going to be great, but it might be just a nice little one of to throw in there as a spice. Um, I love the attention KYT's cards getting. Yes, KYT transitioning to Grim Flare, green black for human warrior trample. It's a two two. And whenever it deals combat damage to a player, you look at the top three cards of your library, put any number of them into your graveyard and the rest back on top of your library in any order. And if you have Delirium, it gets plus two, plus two. KYT, what have you heard so far about this pre- about your preview card? I, when I first got it, I was pretty excited. And uh, Blake from Wizards usually takes care of, I guess recently for past full sets, I don't know since when he's been doing it. Uh, has taken care of giving spoilers to uh, sites or podcasts or uh, video, just content producers in general. And and it was funny that uh, he posted on Daily MTG that he didn't realize that I had been given Rakshasa Death Dealer two years ago. So (laughs) getting another 2-2 that costs the exact same thing. Of course, Rakshasa is likely a better card most of the time. In constructed and in, in uh, well, not in constructed, but definitely in limited, and uh, it it was a better standard deck, uh, not deck card in a vacuum, yeah. but here we have like three abilities, and the one in the middle is just something that I don't feel like I've seen before um, on a creature that you're not drawing a card, you're you're looking at three. And you can reassemble. You can mill. Um, you can reorder. It's like yeah, the index. Reorder. He indexes. Yeah, and it's on a green and black card. It's it's kind of sweet. I'm excited about it because I think that it's. I just imagine playing against a control deck where they're not going to have a Sylvan Advocate to block. So then you already can start card selecting. And that's very important against a control deck to make sure that you have a healthy stream of threats going against them. But what I've been hearing is, you know, some competitive players thinking it's absolute trash, some thinking it has massive potential, and and it's been blowing up on Reddit where I'm seeing both sides like being pretty uh, enthusiastic about it either being shit or it being uh, a potential bomb. Um, I've talked to Hayne about it a bit, and he sees potential in in Eternal formats where it's a lot easier to achieve Delirium with fetch lands. Yeah. So maybe it's a four four more regularly for two mana, and at that point uh, it can be really powerful. Whereas it's a lot harder to hit Delirium in standard, uh, possibly. And again, people are are constantly talking about Sylvan Advocates, like the ultimate blocker. And the fact that Sylvan Advocate is a popular card in the format right now. So it is challenging. And the fact that we haven't seen that much effective removal in standard to go along with a grim like turn two grim flare and a turn three removal spell attack. So I mentioned in the article that Dramoka's command would obviously be an awesome card if you can make the Abzan uh, mana work. But then there's Liliana that Somehow, its top two abilities really is synergizes with Grimflare. Uh, the first one being minus two, minus one to a, a target creature, and the second ability basically milling two, if I'm just remembering correctly. Yeah. So that that helps Grimflare become a four four, and also helps it attack uh, its first ability if it needs to attack through 
myself an advocate early because it makes the two three into a zero two. So, you know, it seems like they were meant to be together in some sort of deck. So for me, like for me personally, I'm just like excited because I, I think it's a card that just has so many angles and, and if it sees play, I'm I'm pretty excited about that. And uh, the other thing that people are super passionate about is why is this card a mythic? And I'm, I'm not sure I have a very <laughs> strong yeah. opinion about that. They're like going back to what Rosewater said, that mythics aren't supposed to be constructed playable or tournament playable, tournament staples. And then some people think that a 2-2 two, two for 2 doesn't feel mythical. I don't know if you guys that uh, definitely care more about flavor than me, because I, I don't care about it at all, uh, really care about that. I, I don't care about it being flavorful. Like, we have so many cards every set. It, it would be one of those things where it's like, if you're going to complain about a mythic not being flavorful, then you're literally going to complain every set. Because every set, they have these types of mythics. Every set. It's just... It's one of those things where it is, it's like you said, KYT, it's got an ability on it that you just haven't seen before. And that's what I think is mythic about him, is that he just does something that's really kind of unheard of. I think his ability is actually going to be way more powerful than it seems, because if this guy is doing damage, you're not going to have bad draws. It's going to be really yeah. hard for you to have bad draws. And if you're playing some sort of Delirium deck, which... You know, that's where this card kind of goes a little bit crazy and some of the other Delirium tools out there. Uh, this card's going to be a really big enabler. Like, casting this card on two and being able to get some damage in is going to be a big deal. So. Yeah. I do think that... I agree that it should not be a Mythic, but I what I wanted to actually force myself to do was look at another card and see if that card itself should have been a Mythic. And I think they missed an opportunity to put Cokes from the Blind Eternities, the Eldrazi Wish. Uh, I Why isn't that a mythic? It's because a... I would hate myself <laughs> if I opened that card. That card is completely useless. True. But there's one... <laughs> you just said it yourself. There's one in every set. And it's Yeah, but we already have Mirrorwing Dragon. Yeah. And we've got Mind's Dilation. Like, we've got a lot of but deploy the Gatewatch could be too. We got a lot of cards that could be just absolutely terrible at Mythic. De deploy the Gatewatch is a Mythic. Yeah, it is. So, or Bruna. Like, Bruna is not a Mythic, but Gisela is. That's kind yeah, of. Yeah, Gisela is a like, ridiculous one. Uh, yeah. Gisela is like freaking Baneslayer Angel. <laughs> yeah but is she this needs to be she needs to be mythic because you don't want to see her in draft yeah that's true uh isn't the hymn to Tarak in this set yeah there's a, a wannabe hymn which okay. again might be really strong with grim player yeah I, i'm just not saying on mythic spoiler but yeah definitely the i think of delirium for more eternal formats where like in modern for example if you can reliably hit it by turn two and then cast have access to a a hymn to Turok, that seems pretty sweet yeah, yeah i think it might just be a lot of work well you you fetch you thought scour 
uh, or you play you you go very Chapin esque and you play Mishra's Bobble and you play Thought Scour and you play uh, Fetch Lands and then maybe you even throw in some Delve spells, uh, which you have to be careful because you have to maneuver around both wanting Delve, wanting to cast your Delve spells and wanting to maintain Delirium. But I, I, I think there's a lot of potential there. Yeah, it's just the the question is what. What are you gaining from it, right? Like you, you want to be playing Goifs because the Delirium creatures out there just aren't strong enough. Yeah, yeah, like, absolutely. Even, even this guy here, like it's even this uh, this Grim Player that we got. If Grim Player is a four four, Tarmogoyf is going to be a four five. In any reality where Grim Player is a four four, Tarmogoyf is a four five. Yeah, but you can't play eight Tarmogoyfs. No, but it's just one of those things where it's just like it's it's not as strong as the other card at two. So does it fill, like, does it become maybe Tarmogoyf five? You know, I, I don't yeah. know. Is it, is it one of those spots there? Um, him to Torak is a great card, but is it worth all that work? I mean, I, you'd have to look at the shell and maybe if the shells are, I mean, Grixis Delve, those Grixis Delve decks are already good. Yeah. And maybe this just kind of slots right in. I'm not sure. I just am brainstorming really at this point. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just trying to say like, what is my planeswalker? What is my sorcery? What is my enchantment? What what is my fourth type? Because that fourth type is what bites you whenever you kind of look at these situations, look at these decks. Yeah. Like Thoughtseize. Okay, that might be the way to go about it. Looking at it that way, saying, okay, I got a Thoughtseize, I got a bolt, I got a land, I got a creature. And that's what I'm hoping to delirium off of to do this stuff. But like, it I don't know. It just be, seems like know, a lot of work. You could play more of a Jundi build, and you mm -hmm. have access to Seal of Fire and Tribal. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, yeah. Tribal in the form of Tar Fire. They're yeah. not as impactful as some of the uh, the Jund spells that you could be playing had you not gone that route. But I don't know. I I'm definitely watching out for it. That's for sure. Yeah. I, I totally missed out that uh, Murderer got reprinted. Yeah. I was talking about the lack of good, gen more generic removal uh -huh. in the format. And, wow, just Grim Flare into Murder. You cast a Murder, and now you're obviously likely milling. Mm -hmm. And it might be a 4-4 four, four on turn 3 already. So, yeah. wow. I mean, there might be a... Yeah, there might be a deck in standard I, here. Oh, for sure in standard. I think this guy is going to be definitely standard playable. Like, this is a get-a-play-set, probably going to be really expensive off the get-go because I, I think he's going to be strong. And the fact that he's human, I think, just helps as well. Right, right. Yeah, overall, really excited. I think he will see play. I don't think he will top uh, Mr. Death Dealer, who, who was basically at one enters a point of the game where he's in an edict to turn, but um, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Maybe? I mean, Death Dealer will never see Eternal play, but Grim Flayer could. So there's that going for, for this guy. Um, but I wanted, I wanted to go back to, to uh, you, Jared, because I don't know if Matt knows that you're playing uh, this weekend as well. Yeah. So did you yeah, know that, this, Matt? Oh, I did not. So, yeah, this weekend we have probably the two biggest tournaments we're going to have, I guess, aside from the RPTQ that's coming. Uh, 
but yeah, I guess it'll be the two biggest tournaments that we're going to have in the province, I'm guessing. Uh, and that's going to be, uh, we have the WMCQ on Saturday. And then we have a man, uh, face-to-face uh, 5K on the Sunday. And like, you know that these are big enough tournaments because Sean McLaren's actually going to show up to them. Sweet. Yeah, he doesn't leave his house. Like, he only <laughs> leaves to go to the Pro Tour. <laughs> like you could you could run a Friday night magic on his front lawn and he wouldn't show up. <laughs> you could probably put it in his kitchen and he'd stay in his basement and stream. Like just he does not go places for value at all unless it's really, really good value. So uh Dean was saying that he's he's doing the WMCQ and he'll be doing the five K. So yeah, like big um, big tournaments. Yes. He gets to defend his title, and I think that's why the meta the meta game breakdown that uh, we were able to put together is, is so key because I think a lot of players are gonna from Red Deer are going to the Edmonton one. And, oh, for uh, sure, yeah. WMCQ, we've already got over a hundred people pre-regged. Um, everybody's gonna be coming up for that. If anybody's traveling, it would make sense for them to stay for the five k afterwards on the the Sunday. Right. So, was oh, it also I, modern? Yeah, they're both modern tournaments. Ooh, all right. So it's back-to-back modern. So that's where now I'm in this spot where it's like, dredge, uh, uh, can I play it? Do I feel strong enough with it? You know, where am I at with it? Should I be playing something else? I I um, built uh, the random Zerdeck that Ari Lax was playing on Star City, and I ran it through the league <laughs> and just... I want to just turn it into Esper tokens because those are the good cards mm-hmm. uh, and get rid of Zur and all the enchantments uh, because those are the bad cards. And then I want to try out uh, the the dredge deck with the bit more controlling style. Um, I just, I need to find a deck because I, I'm not feeling dredge vine. Like, I don't know if I go back to my dude storm thing or just play something along those lines of like just a really crazy grill aggro style deck. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm at a loss right now. Like I'm I'm shaken. Yeah. So <laughs> I guess you're not considering Matt's deck, but oh, I was actually there was one deck that you could play that you weren't thinking about. What's that? You could play Infect. It did just win. <laughs> oh, I don't want to. <laughs> I, Matt, I was more curious though with you <laughs> seeing the table, like the meta game. How how does how do you think your deck fares in that specific type of field? Um, fine. Uh, I would. I uh, so <clears throat> the changes I would make. Oh uh, yeah, fine. I mean, it. I can play. I can play scavenging ooze. I can play. Uh, there's some Tron infect. Is a is a has always felt like a decent matchup. Uh, Abzan like, are you decent against way. like? Are you decent against Infect? Yeah, I, yeah, I have a positive. I have a positive record, and the matchup uh, like a three fourths or a seven fourths. <laughs> <or, laughs> I see you. Yeah, it 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 feels generally fine uh, because Infect, for example, relies on having a lot of green mana, and I can attack them on two axes. I can attack their mana base, which is effective, and I can I can also attack their creatures. 
granted, you get into kind of situations where sometimes your cards don't exactly match up with particular draws that they have, and you have to kind of deal with that uh, that sort of ram- that sort of ramification. But uh, yeah, there's been matchups that are have gone very well for me, and then there's been matchups where I've shit the bed and my deck just draws very poorly, but uh, it's felt felt generally good. Uh, uh, Abs and Coco is the same thing, but I'm not going to rehash that whole thing. Uh, Nahiri, Jeskai, those decks. Uh, Eric Froelich told me that he felt like the Reman decks were buys, basically, is okay. what he said. Um, I, I I hadn't p- picked his brain really to to find out, but they, it feels very strong because basically they they. There are games where they can get you into a position where they can remand something and then remand another thing and then play a Nahiri before you have the opportunity to play any pressure on it. Mm-hmm. The pro the their deck, however, those those games have to go like that in order for them to have a strong game against you because they have to resolve a Nahiri, which means they tap out, and usually I have something really powerful to do while they're they're tapped out. Or I can just play a Stormbreath Dragon or like another creature that can threaten it. Um, and I was I was really worried about it, but the creatures in our deck are fairly resilient against Nahiri. Uh, when you when you look at Thrun, Stormbreath Dragon, um, even even like we play Primal Command, whereas other players uh, don't. But Primal Command, one of its modes is is put Nahiri on top and then go get a Stormbreath Dragon. To basically just th- completely threaten that line, uh, as well as Kitchen Finks is pretty good against Nahiri. So, um, and then Jund, uh, it's the same way. Feel they rely on a very, very mana intense mana base. They can get on top of you with Tarmogoyf and things like that, and uh, and basically get out of the gates before you have an opportunity to really deploy your stuff. But most of the games, it basically they will play like a threat and like a Tarmogoyf, and then you basically shut them out the rest of, of the rest of their late game, and their their one Tarmogoyf isn't enough to get there, despite the fact that they have to be, they they can't play the beatdown. Uh, but it, it's kind of a weird give and take with that matchup because they have to be aggressive, but you can be more aggressive and just go over the top of them. Uh, so that's, it's, it's definitely like not an easy matchup, but it's, it's favorable. It feels like, uh, Tron, uh, I don't think I really need to go into much detail about the Tron matchup, uh, and how good it is. Affinity is 50, 50, 60, 40 them. Uh, we have a lot of stuff. We give up a lot of game ones, but then we have a lot of stuff to deploy in games two and three. Um, burn it depends on how they play. If they go, if they're super careful with skull cracks and if they're a really good burn player, it's a challenging matchup. However, if they're not very good and they rely more on their creatures, they, we play more of a mid range game, which basically it turns on all of our creature, like our blocking and things like that. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, a lot of the other matchups, boggles, aggro, suicide zoo, like suicide zoo is challenging. Um, dredge can be challenging too, but we've also, uh, one of the things that we went from is from fire spout to anger of the gods, uh, which I don't like anger of the gods as much, but against dredge, you have to have it. Yeah. That's one of the things I like about dredge is that people are 
getting away from Anger of the Gods right now. Like, uh, a lot of the Just Guy decks are not playing it. Okay. Which is huge. Yeah, we've just... We just determined that the Bonfires plus Fire Spout were still not enough against the Dredge decks. So we needed Bonfires plus Anger anger or something along those lines to really yeah. kind of get a get a, a foothold in that matchup. Yeah, um, like if I'm playing against your deck, the thing I'm afraid is that you're going to get like a Stormbreath Dragon or a bigger creature and then kill all my little creatures and be able to outrace me. Yeah. Uh, I also play Scoozes, and that's we we're playing now one Scooz in main, one Scooz in the board, uh, because of all this stuff. And uh, yeah, uh, but I, I feel good about it. Uh, so at the yeah, that's where I would feel I would feel confident playing a, tur- yeah. playing a tournament with my deck, especially knowing it just as well as I do. Uh, I feel like I'd be better positioned than other people who just kind of pick it up, but. Interesting. Yeah. But what, what about, you, what about just guy ascendancy? Uh, I've never liked it. I, I know people played it and like good players in our area have played it. Mm-hmm. But it's never come across to me as a deck that you play in a larger, more serious event. I've I have come across it in thirty-five person IQs and stuff like that. But I would be hesitant to play it, especially if, um, especially if you're running into more graveyard hate, because you still have to you still have to play Fate Stitcher. Is a pretty yeah. crucial part of your strategy. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's probably not the place to be. I'm just trying to think of like decks that I like. I already looked at Restore Balance. It's not a good place yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Maybe Living Death. I don't know. Yeah, that's one thing that I I don't know what is in this other category, but he delineates even even the arc the known archetypes with one representative and i'm really surprised that living end didn't make an appearance uh that affinity despite its fifth place popular what fifth or sixth this the sixth most popular archetype did not top crack the top eight it usually is up there uh what else yeah restore balance is has no representatives yeah modern is it modern isn't it in an interesting spot right now, I think. Yeah. An exciting spot. For sure. Are you excited? I'm excited. You should be excited. Yeah. Feel the excitement. You could also play Burn. I could. I, I really like Burn. I haven't really done much Burn. So Burn might be a thing. It's kind of fun. I mean, I've I've played it before, and I picked it up at one of our local events because I showed up to a modern tournament without a deck, and ne- they needed eight to fire or six to fire, and so I just jumped in to make the tournament happen. And somebody handed me burn, and I three o six one that event, and 
yeah, it's partial experience and then partially understanding being conservative and playing around things and deflecting palm deflecting palming somebody's infect attack for eight. That was pretty sweet. Yeah, KYT, what would you play? Would you pick up boggles? Um man. I I've Boggles and Infect have been the two decks that I'm I'm most comfortable with. And so I I would just if Infect seems to have had some amount of success, I would play Infect. Now I've always uh I've always played the one with black because I felt like I needed, but maybe we're gravitating towards a format where I don't think I might be facing as much spot removal. The reason I always play with black is because I wanted to up my infect creature count, but now it seems like it's blue-green, the de facto choice, and, and we're not seeing any bug at all. So um, I'd be most comfortable playing infect heading into this weekend if I had to. Okay. Uh, fly in and come play these two events. One thing I would petition for is that in this top eight, this Grixis Delver deck, that they call it the Grixis Delver deck, I would like to petition for it being renamed to Grixis Prowess. Because Grixis Delver, to me, is a different deck from this deck. You tell the world. So, yeah. That's going to be my my controversial position for this <laughs> so much controversy because <laughs> uh the the other more traditional one plays like snapcaster mage and stuff it doesn't play bump in the night it doesn't play right. the four gut shot uh it plays more uh it sometimes plays young pyromancer and, uh, yeah, it's definitely not all in on this Storm Chaser Mage, Swift Spear, Niv Magus Elemental kind of stuff. Yeah, I think you, have a, you definitely have a point here. And, it, and them being called different things because they are significantly different. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, 286, it looks like it's a good time to wrap up. Yeah, Jared. Hope like the thing is like, I'm I'm helping host, I'm helping organize these face to face games red uh, opens, and I'm I'm messaging Jared like, are are you playing? Yeah, I'm in. I'm like excited, and, and I'm I'm actually Facebook messaging other people at the tournaments. Everyone's like, oh, it looks like things are running smoothly because of course the whole fiasco in Edmonton last time. I was a little bit scared, so I wanted things to to go well. So I'm like, all right, things are going well. Then Jared wins round one. I'm like, all right, 1-0. He's going to make a run. Then it's like he updates me. He's 1-2, and he feels like fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, oh, no. Yeah, but, it was bad. It was bad. <laughs> outside of that, uh, from what I've heard, no no complaints at all. And yeah. I was happy about that. Um, we had to... There were, there were a bunch of funky things um, that I had to work around, but because um, originally we had registration closed on, on a Thursday, that's just due to making sure that we have a day to make sure all that registration info goes to the head judge on time, so we, we want to give ourselves some breathing room. Um, 
but we left it open until Friday at midnight, so I had to stay up and then send that over. But then I had to, I really wanted to make sure that the head judge got that uh, correctly, so that people who were registered when I reopened were going to be in the tournament. So I was a bit stressed about that. So things turned out great. 184, second biggest um, open face-to-face games open. And to me, it's just the biggest because Toronto is just always going to get a massive crowd. So to, to get um, such a huge showing in Alberta that, okay, we, we kind of knew based on our fiasco from Edmonton that a lot of people show up for these. But it's just it's just really awesome to see that there's such a strong, for a fucking 2K in Red Deer. Yeah, yeah I mean, a 2K in Red Deer, you got all those people. Yeah, so it's like, What? So we're expecting more uh, in the 5K, but maybe not just because it's a Sunday and we don't oh, know no. if people are committed to one day. So yeah. I, I think that you're like we're getting to the point where the for the WMCQ, they're now advertising that it has a 250 person cap. Like they weren't Whoa. talking about caps at all, but now they're actually advertising like because the way that he always calculates what his attendance is going to be. The way that he's trending now, he's like, geez, like I might actually cap out. I might hit my cap. He had to go to Wizards and beg them to get enough promos because originally they only sent him 150. And they told him, oh, yeah, you won't get past that because Vancouver only got so many, like only got 100 and something. And he's like, yeah, no, we're going to blow that number out of the water. <laughs> so they were like, oh, well, maybe start tracking things because we're not quite sure. And he's been tracking things. And yeah, they've been doing really good. So. Whoa. I, I think Alberta has out well from from the outside world has been underrated in terms of its uh, magic have, popularity. A, yeah, we have a lot of magic players. It's significantly underrated. I don't think anyone would say that uh, we would have 184 for a 2K in Red Deer. I think that's just you're 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 not getting these numbers in Montreal. So. Um, yeah, that's there's just an insane amount of players that were willing to travel, like whether it's from Edmonton, Calgary, uh, all the way to Red Deer to play a 2K uh, top level, like well organized event. So, you know, I it's I think it's an awesome place to be a Magic player because well, more people should host more tournaments because there is a fucking demand, and our event proved that. So, yeah, no, it's, really it's a case that. Warp, uh, the, the the chain of stores that I uh, usually go to, they did a 1.5K, and they had a good turnout for that. So, yeah, there's people out there playing. People want to play Magic. Alrighty. So, good luck, Jer. Yeah. Good luck. And make us proud. Make, uh, you can join Jacob Wilson and possibly Alex Hayne on the team. <laughs> don't scrub out of this one, bro. Yeah. <laughs> We don't want no scrubs. And then, in addition to that, don't tilt off and go play a tilt event. Win a box. Yeah. Win lose. <laughs> hey, sometimes a guy needs a tilt sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All, All right. right. We'll see you guys next week. See you on the flip side. I love Bye. you all. Bye.